we've been on this subject of Advent, and, and Advent's not really a spiritual mean, word. It means the coming or, or the arrival. Uh, you could have relatives you're looking forward to their Advent, their coming. But from a Christian perspective, it's about where God actually clothed himself in a human body and arrived. And the scripture says when the time was just right, God sent his son. And so that's what Advent is. It's celebrating the, the birth of our Savior. And so we've been looking at all these different attributes, these different themes in the Advent circle. And I don't think anyone would argue against these themes. I don't care if you, what religion they belong to. I don't care what, if they were irreligious and didn't believe in God. I don't care what their worldview would be. I don't think anybody would argue that the attributes and themes of Advent would be something negative. We're, we're talking about peace and hope, and joy, and love. And we all agree, don't we, that you go without any one of those for any length of time, and it's really a miserable existence. And some of you may have experienced that, where you've had seasons in your life where there wasn't peace or joy or hope. It's such a miserable place to be. And so these beautiful themes of Advent, they, they all show up in Jesus. They all show up in him. Lasting peace and, and hope and joy. And today's topic will be love. And Jesus is the source of all those things. So I invite you, if you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, I would encourage you to know him because he possesses all those things. And so as we come to this uh, message today, we're going to talk about Christmas, Christmas love, at the love of Advent. Christmas is all about love. Please hear this. There would be no Advent, no coming of the Savior, no Christmas that we would celebrate if it wasn't for the love of God. The crazy, wild, selfless, indescribable love of God that he has for us, that he came and clothed himself in a human body, ultimately to die for us and rise again, to pay for the penalties of sin that we couldn't pay for ourselves. We needed a savior. And there's this little video, I want to look at this because there's just, it just as exemplifies a heart of giving and a heart of love. Let's, let's watch this little video. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant, Barbie house. A trophy case. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. Like watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! It's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. 
a dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family, everything. He did make his decision, actually. And oh, he picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is sweet. That made me cry. So what are you going to do to me? Oh, it's for me? Oh, it's for you. Thanks, guys. I was going to. <laughs> she said, making us cry for that furnace. I said, I just had that thought while I was sitting there. If they can give, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch that thing about 15 times so I wouldn't cry through the whole thing. It's just, it's, it's powerful. But I, I think, what would possess a kid? I don't know if you paid attention to the opening screen, but these are inner city kids who don't have hardly anything. I mean, most of them couldn't even afford a, a, a simple little Christmas tree to decorate their homes with. And so now they're offered, you know, the most incredible gift that they could ever dream of and they give it up for their mom, dad, family member, or loved one. What would possess a kid to do that? Well, there's only one answer, selfless love. They said, I love somebody more than I love myself. The, the one kid had it. Legos don't matter. What matters is family. And when we look at this Advent season, when we look at this topic today of love, that's the bottom line. God says family matters. There's an interesting thing in Christianity that we don't really see revealed much in the Old Testament until we move to this New Testament, and that's that God is establishing this Christian family, this family of believers, this, the, the family of God, and even the whole dynamic there where all of a sudden, of all the things God could be called, and rightfully so, and he does get called many of these things, king and lord and creator and, and sovereign and all those things, when God goes to relate to us, remember what Jesus said? Here's how you ought to pray. Our, see if I remember the next word, Father. Our Father. And Jesus is called the Son. And so God's introducing this whole family dynamic that you really don't see quite revealed. Uh, in fact, there's interesting things about the scripture. The Bible says this, that what you and I look into is what the ancients the old prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, uh, Jeremiah, the things that they long to look into. And listen to what it says. Even angels long to look into these things. 
They were saying this as Christmas was approaching. Even the angels were saying, God's up to something. We're getting a little hint of it. We're trying to figure it out. We long to look into, they long to look into what we look into and see clearly. God's establishing a family. Now, we see that clearly in John, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. I reference the God, seems like this year I've talked about John chapter 1 over and over again. I would highly recommend that you read John chapter 1. What am I saying? You all read the whole book back a few weeks ago. I forgot about that. We had the assignment to read the, the Gospel of John, and John chapter 1 starts revealing some truth about God. Now, the world has some theories. The world has theories, and they don't always line up with what the Bible teaches. So as Christians, I believe we should go to the Christian scriptures, and we should see what the Bible teaches. Now, you can reject what the Bible teaches if you want to, but I would say you accept it. The world says this, we're all children of God. Do you know the Bible does not say that? You know, the Bible says we're all his creation. And the Bible says we are all deeply loved by God. So don't get me wrong, God's, God loves the world, loves everyone. We're deeply loved by God. But then John, uh, a deep lover of Jesus, he reveals to us what gets you in the family. And so in John uh, chapter 1, it says this, He, Jesus, came to his own people, that's the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. Now, I want you to know this, not all Jewish people rejected Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 devout Jewish men came to know Jesus as their Savior. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll read many priests believed in Jesus. But the powers that be that could have said, we have, we have received our Messiah, could have revamped the whole trajectory of the Jewish people, by and large rejected him. And so Jesus, the scriptures goes on to say this, Jesus came to his own people, even they rejected him. But to all who didn't reject him, but to all who believed and accepted him. So I want you to get this. This is what Christianity teaches from the scripture. To all who believed in Jesus, to all who accepted Jesus, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. That's the doorway into becoming children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so we're invited into this family, the family of God. And God passionately wants you to be a part of the family. He wants everyone to be a part of the family. This is an invitation to everyone. Remember what the angel said to the, the shepherds? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And he's to be a Savior for all the people. So everyone's invited into this relationship. Then we read on in John, John chapter 3. I like this in John 3. I like the, the NIV translation of this because it chooses to pick a particular world, word. It says, see what great love the Father has, what? Lavished on us. Now, a lot of translations use the word bestow. That's a good translation. It's a good word. But just for me, I don't know about you, but the word bestow doesn't do anything mentally for me. Bestow. Lavish does. When I think of lavish, I think of over the top. I think of way too much. I think of, of extravagant and exceeding and abundant and overflowing. That's the kind of love God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Now, if you notice, there's an exclamation point in both these two sentences. It should be read, See what great love the Father's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God? 
There's an exclamation point there. And that is what we are, exclamation point, emphasis, wanting to really drive this point home. We are, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a child of God. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it all is birthed out of this incredible love that God has for us. It's amazing. So, Jesus is that pathway. We, we read on. Let me look at this, the rest of this. Um, in verse 14, you'll have to back up to John chapter 1. It says, so the word became human. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word, it's capital D, it's a person. The word was with God and the word was God. And then we see in verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing what? Love. Full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So Jesus invites us into this family, and he's the doorway to it. But this, this truth about love, I'll eventually quit crying here. This truth about the love of God, the truth about the love of God, I think by and large people don't understand. In, in fact, you get a little snippets from the Old Testament and you think, okay, God was really mean and hateful and wrathful, but that's really not the truth when you really, really read and study the Old Testament. But my sadness is from how many Christians don't understand this big, lavish, crazy love of God that God has for us. In Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, it says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our what? Our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. If you really study out the book of Ephesians, it basically says this. You and I were in love with ourself, in love with the world, in love with sin, in partnership with the devil. We had no desire or care for God. And in the midst of that, God sends a son. In the midst of that, no love towards him, he brings love towards us. So there'd be no Christmas, there'd be no Advent, there'd be no coming of our Savior if it wasn't for love. This lavish, over-the-top, exceeding abundant, way too much love of God. When you think about why would God leave the glories of heaven and this multi-dimensional, infinite existence that he was walking in and living in, why would he leave that to confine himself to a, a human body? I mean, a sweaty, finite, dirty, harsh, weary, hungry, thirsty human existence. Why would he do that? There's only one answer. Love. Love. You are deeply and passionately loved by God. Now, the hardest point about teaching this is that I, I want us to understand how deeply loved we are by God. I want us to to think about how he's lavished his love upon us. I want us to start seeing ourselves differently and seeing the world around us differently because of this love of God. But the hardest part about teaching this is not the actual topic. That's actually very easy. It's so clear in Scripture. So clear. What's hard about teaching this is being aware of what you think I'm saying that I'm not saying. That, that's the hardest thing we get to the love of God. See, God's love is crazy for you. And I'll say this, on your very best day and on your very worst day, God's crazy in love with you. Now, some people hear me say this when I say that. God doesn't care how you live. 
live like Jesus, live like Lucifer. It doesn't matter. He's crazy in love with you. Well, he is crazy in love with you. But I'm not saying it doesn't matter how we live. It does matter how we live in trying to keep my salvation for an extra minute or two. That's totally established in Jesus. But it does matter how we live for our own selves and for the world around us and for the hurting, broken world around and to glorify God and have people see how we live and want to know Jesus. It's all very, very, very important. And so in Christianity, we teach this. The vilest, most wicked sinner, no matter how deep into depravity, no matter how deep into wickedness they have fallen, no matter what, Jesus loves them. Isn't that what we teach? Jesus loves them. Jesus cares about them. Jesus died for them. Jesus wants them in the family. doesn't matter you go to death row, you could go to the most heinous criminal on planet Earth, and Jesus deeply loves them and wants them to come into relationship with him. Now, we believe the quote by, by Corey Ten Boone. If you're not familiar with her, Corey Ten Boone was a Christian lady that hid Jewish people. She got caught by the Nazis and went to a Nazi concentration camp. Corey Ten Boone went around speaking, sharing the love of God. Here's a famous quote of hers. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Amen. Absolutely. Great, 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 Corey. That's a perfect truth that the Christian world teaches. But then I've noticed something happens. We take this gospel message, which is glorious. It's life-changing. We take it out to a hurting and broken world. Some of you in here have done prison ministry, and so, you know, as far as the world is concerned, we think, oh, those are really bad people. I want you to know this. God passionately loves everybody. And I will tell you one person that Jesus seemed to get the most frustrated with was not the sinners. It was the self-righteous. Remember the story where somebody, it says, this Pharisee went into the temple. This is actually, I think, how the King James says, he went into the temple and prayed, and it said he prayed to himself. I like that line. He prayed to himself, and he said things like this, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you, and he began to talk about actually good things. If you listen to everything he listed, there's nothing wrong with what he listed. And then he says, I thank you I'm not like this man over here. And that man over there, a sinner, could not even look up his eyes to heaven, and he beat his chest and said, God, forgive me, a sinner. And the Lord says, that guy left justified that day, not the self-righteous Pharisee. And so although we say, yeah, those, those people in prison, they're bad people. Well, they might be, but so is everyone without Jesus. And the self-righteous guy who was trying to keep all the rules and thought he was right with God by how good he was, Jesus said, you're not that good. So we take this gospel to the wicked, the vile, whatever, and they hear the gospel and they receive Jesus. And so all of a sudden, this person comes out of their wickedness gives their life to Jesus. They're not rejecting Jesus anymore, as we read. They accept and they believe in him. And so then, the scripture begins to unfold in their life. Old is gone. The new has come. They've been made a new creation in God. They are now the righteousness of God in Christ. The love of God has been shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has lavished his love upon them. And they are a child of God. All that's just scripture of what happens when somebody gives their life to Christ. And I do want to remind you, the gospel message is for, for the, the little kids back in kids' church today who have never gone into the deepest pit of sin and darkness, but they still need a Savior. And so the gospel message is for everybody. Now, here's the problem that I've witnessed before. 
and you and I can help fix it. The problem is, now they become a Christian, they realize how deeply, passionately they are loved by God, and then they start going to church. And then we start discipling them, sometimes not so much in classrooms as, as maybe just by example. You've heard this saying before, haven't you? There's a, a lot more is caught than taught. And so they start sharing their hearts, they're building Christian friendships, and they say, oh my goodness, they said, uh, you know, I've been working so hard this week that I normally have a little prayer time with the Lord before I go to bed at night, but this last week, I just, my head hits the pillow and I've fallen asleep and hadn't even had a prayer time. And so then we tell them, you've done what? You have gone to sleep without saying your prayers, without repenting of your sins, without saying you were sorry for it. Well, it's a good thing you didn't die in your sleep because you would have split hell wide open. And they go, I, I would have? Wow, that's, that's not good. So then they're talking to us one day and they say, man, I really felt like I should share my faith with somebody and I chickened out. And we go, you did what? Oh, well, if you're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you and their blood will be on your hands. Oh, oh okay. Uh, then you're saying, oh my goodness, I felt so bad today at work or school or at home or something. I told a lie. You told a lie? Have you not read the book of Revelation? It says, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire? Uh, okay. Well, I, I'm really having trouble getting traction in my morning. I want to do a morning devotional time, even just for a few minutes, spend some time with the Lord, and I just can't seem to get it together. Oh, really? So God's not important enough for you to spend a few minutes with in the morning? I mean, only he left heaven and died for you and shed his blood for you and rose again so you could be saved, but you can't find a few minutes to spend with the Lord well, don't say any prayers to God because he's not going to reward that kind of lazy sloppiness. And so all of a sudden, after we disciple them, <laughs> they go, I'm confused here. When I was a vile, ugly, awful sinner, God loved me so much. But now that I'm a child of God, he can't hardly stomach me. He's upset at me and mad at me all the time. Well, what's happening? Well, we're not teaching the word well. That's one thing. But I'll tell you what also happens is... People hear me when I talk about this say, oh, so I get it. Tracy says, it don't matter how you live. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you share your faith. It doesn't matter if you have a devotional time. It don't matter about any of those things. Just live some sloppy, agape, greasy, grace gospel and just go live however you want. Well, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the core of the gospel is this, that God's love is so great and so powerful it's not flimsy. It's not, it's not flaky. It doesn't just break apart because something goes wrong. And I'm not re-earning my salvation every day by my performance. Did you all hear that? Now, I'm, I'm serious about this. If you, if you have a spirit of self-righteousness that aggravates you like it would aggravate a Pharisee because you're saying, but... I thank God I'm not like these other people. I do all this stuff. No, no, you're really not that good. We have to learn this. What we have to learn is that Jesus' love is so solid and so secure. And that if I fall asleep before I say my evening prayers, I didn't lose my salvation. Are you with me? If I'm struggling with having, I mean, some of you are in the middle of this. You know, it's really good when, People like me and Darlene, who all of our kids are raised, and we go, I just don't understand why you're not having your quiet time in the morning. Well, we remember what it was like 
trying to get three kids out the door and get them to school and get stuff done and going to work and all that, and life can be crazy. Am I saying you shouldn't have some time with the Lord? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that God's salvation and his love is so powerful and so mighty that if I'm inconsistent in my morning devotions, do I want to fix that and get better at it? Absolutely. Does it eliminate and cancel my salvation? No, it does not. Now again, I know you may say, I'm not sure I'm getting this. I, I think you're saying it don't matter how we live. Well, then I'm really teaching it poorly because it does matter how we live. But I'm not, I'm not appeasing God for another day. I want that to sink in. It pleased the Father to crush the Son so that you and I could have eternal life. And we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I just want to say this clearly. I cannot improve upon that. I can't say, well, yeah, that was really good, but it's not just the righteousness of Jesus I need. I need the righteousness of Jesus and a good devotional life. Well, I hope you do have the righteousness of Jesus and a good devotional life. But it doesn't earn your salvation for an extra day. It doesn't appease God for an extra day. God was fully, completely appeased in the death, burial, and resurrection and sinless life of his son. And the gospel message is so plain, so clear, right out there in plain sight. But I think sometimes we struggle with it because the love of God's lavish. It's big. It's, it's overwhelming. It's extravagant. It's, it's, it's over the top. And it is. I'm reminded of this fictitious story of this border guard. And so these people, trucks would come across the border. And it was his job and it was his skill to find out smugglers and contraband and stolen goods and illegal stuff that would come across the border. Well, this one day, a fairly decent-sized cargo truck pulled up, and, and he got the information from the guy, checked things out, and he just he knew this. Something's not right here. Something's not right. So he checked that truck out, inside, outside, up, down, underneath, everywhere. He even took off some panels, put them back, because he couldn't find anything, but he knew something was wrong. And so he reluctantly waved the guy on. Well, this happened with regularity, week after week, week after week, year after year. He could never find, no matter how hard he tried, what the guy was up to. Well, one day, he's retiring. And lo and behold, as fate would have it, that guy in, that, in the truck comes up again. And he goes up to the window and he said, look, he said, this is my last day here. Uh, no punishment, no anything. I just got to know. I know you've been up to something. We've been doing this dance for a decade. I know you're up to something, and you know I know you're up to something, but I can't figure it out. No punishment, nothing. I just got to know, what have you been smuggling? And he looks at the guy and says, trucks. (laughs) It was so plain, he couldn't see it. It was the actual truck he was smuggling across the border. I think the gospel's so plain, so clear that we sometimes go, we, we just got to look for something else. I mean, that's just too obvious. But the gospel's beautiful. See, I don't want to promote a, a sloppy grace, a, a, a message that says who cares how we live, but what I do want to promote is, is what the Bible calls the gospel of grace. It's what the Bible calls it. And so I want us to be aware of something. When we think we're earning something, let me tell you what the Bible teaches The Bible says on your best day and my best day, on your best day and my best day, that our righteousness is as a filthy rags 
before God. That's our good day. Don't know what our bad day's like. That's what our good day's like. Because what happens is, when it comes to holiness and righteousness, we have to compare ourselves, listen carefully, we have to compare ourselves with God. Not with the people around us, but with God. And so we compare ourselves to this perfect, flawless, holy, impeccable God, and we realize our best day isn't that good. The scripture says that on your best day and my best day, that our righteousness falls far short of the glory of God. Hmm. Well, what are we to do? Humbly rejoice in God's lavish love. That's all we can do. Because I can't improve upon it. So let me just give you a visual. If, you could, if, if this would happen, like somebody gives their life to Jesus, and if we would see God just literally reach inside them and remove all the sin they've ever committed and ever will commit, and he would just extract that from their body and throw that as far as the east is from the west. And then he would take his righteousness and deposit it inside that person. That's what happens when we get saved. And I want you to know this. Can you improve upon that? Can you improve upon the righteousness of Jesus? You, you can't. I, I don't know how to add to that. What I do want it to do is to motivate a life change in me. Because I believe true belief always affects behavior. But my behavior doesn't keep me in for an extra day. Jesus does that. So, so what, what does the Bible teach? The Bible says, this is, the, our gospel's glorious. Our go, gospel's so amazing. I just wonder if we actually preached the Bible gospel if more people might not want to be a part of it. <laughs> the, the Bible gospel is this. The book of Hebrews says this. We have a high priest. His name's Jesus. And this high priest, oh, this high priest is made perfect forever. Did you catch that line? He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You say, well, what's that about? That means that in Christ, and again, you know me. I'm, I'm not talking about just the, eh, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. Now let's you know, ignore him for the rest of our lives. No, real genuine life change. I haven't rejected. I've received Jesus. I'm a believer. Then the Bible says, I've been made perfect forever. The Bible says, the old is gone, the new has come. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And so that's fixed. Now you might notice something else going on. This life you're living down here. You ever notice that? But this is forever fixed. If it's not forever fixed, then I have a gospel of works. Because what ends up happening is I go, Oh, I had a really bad day. I'm going to hell now. Whoops, I repented. I'm going back to heaven. Oh, man, I can't believe I thought that, said that, did that. Lost my salvation. Oh, I repented. Now I got my salvation back. Uh, what a horrible way to live. You're getting saved and lost and saved and lost and hell and heaven and hell and heaven. He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, what I got going on down here, I want that to grow. I want that to improve. I, I, want, I want to live my life in a way that pleases God. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about him. I love him. I, I want to do what's right. But this right here, are we just going to be, we're going to be self-righteous Pharisees or are we going to be honest with one another today? Isn't it true that me, you, all of us, this what's going on right here ain't always great? I mean, nobody wants to admit it, but it ain't always great. Did you maybe say something this week you shouldn't have said? Did you maybe think something this week you shouldn't have thought? Did you treat somebody a way you shouldn't have treated them? 
Did you look at somebody with a pecking order? They're beneath me, they're this or that. All that stuff's going on around here. So we're, we're being made holy as we submit to God, but we are made perfect in the sight of God. Now, what happens then? I don't have to live, to live a life of worry and fear and anxiety. I can live a life focusing on this lavish love of God and this incredible salvation I have, and I can keep growing. I'm not making excuses to sin. That's ridiculous. The gospel doesn't give us excuses to sin. It gives us a, an impetus, a motivation to do right and to live right. So what should we do? I have a suggestion for us. The next time you sin, now, by the way, I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying the next time you sin. Now, I know for some of you, I can look out, it's going to be June next year before you do. But for some of us other mortals, we may actually sin. I would challenge me and you the next time we sin and we just go, oh, my goodness, Lord, uh, I shouldn't have said that, done that, thought that, behaved that way. I would like the first thing that comes out of your mouth just to say, Lord, I just want to acknowledge this that in the midst of what I just did and what I just thought and how I behaved, you're crazy in love with me. You're crazy in love with me right now. You're crazy in love with me right now. Now, Holy Spirit, help me. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to be everything God's called me to be. Help me improve and help me submit my life to the goodness of God. And they say, I, I don't know. Okay, I'll give you one more example. If you have children and you're a sane, sensible parent. Let me ask you this question. On your kid's best day, did you love them like crazy? On your kid's worst day, did you love them like crazy? You did, didn't you? Now, if we can do that, I know God can do it. He is love. Now, that doesn't mean on their worst day we weren't disappointed or we weren't sad or we weren't heartbroken. There might have been a whole bunch of emotions. But one thing that didn't happen is on your kid's worst day, you didn't say, I hate them, I reject them, I don't want anything to do with them, I don't love them. No. Even from a human perspective, even from a human, I'm talking human perspective, not, not God. From a human perspective, you may have even loved them a little more on their worst day where your heart was just broken for them. So I know God's love doesn't fluctuate like that, but you didn't stop loving them, and God doesn't stop loving you. So I want you not to default to God rejects you, he's mad at you, he hates you, he's upset with you, you, you lost your eternal life, and you, God, he's always mad. No, God's crazy in love with you. Use that crazy love of God to motivate you to be everything God has called you to be. That's the beauty of this season, love. The only reason we're having this season is love. And you and I are passionately loved by God. For God so loved the world. So he does the wide thing we talked about, but then he does the personal thing. He personally loves you. I met a person one time, and I never thought of this before, because I always kind of had a sense that God loved me personally, and I never even thought of this. They said, I knew God loved me because he loves the world. So I knew I was thrown into the big group thing, but I never felt personally loved by God. And I thought, how, how sad is that? So I just encouraged them. I want you to know, you are personally loved by God, not just part of the big group. You're part of the big group and part of the personal love of God. And so as this season approaches, as Christmas is coming, 
as we stop to reflect on the love of God, would you spend this week really thinking about what we talked about today? That God's crazy, lavishly in love with you, and that his love is over the top. It's how we would say it's too much, but then we say, but we like it. It's too much. It's lavish. It's big. It's huge. You can even go to your smart device and look up verses on the love of God and Plus, trust me, they'll give you plenty of things to go to. And you can read and think and meditate and ponder God's great love for you. So shake off all that. God's mad. He's upset. He loves you. Now, did you hear this before I pray? I'm not encouraging you to go live like the devil. I'm not encouraging you to be soft on sin. I'm encouraging you to live your Christian life out of a basis of love, not out of a basis of rejection. Because of our love for one another, Darlene and I, we can share things, talk about things, go through things because there's not a sense of rejection. And God wants us to live in that kind of love. I, I notice that kids oftentimes, they don't quite understand love and the love of parents, so they often don't share stuff with their parents because they're afraid they might be rejected, but they're not. I remember uh, one of my kids uh, ran through a stop sign and all the traffic was low and someone hit the car and it was their fault and they said my dad's going to kill me and I thought that is so sad so I asked him I said when did I ever kill you for anything you know yeah when did I ever and then I had another kid and we sent him to pick up somebody to bring him to church and on the way back a rock came up and hit the window and cracked it and dinged it and, and the person said oh my gosh your dad's going to be so mad uh, and it was Sean you know what Sean said my dad won't be mad at all. Oh, yeah, he will. He'll be, you came to pick me up, and you shouldn't have been doing that. And, and I was, he said, and I promise you, I, I, I guarantee you my dad won't be mad. Well, was he wrong? Um, uh, no. I wasn't mad at all. I think about that story all the time because the dink still in the window from years gone by. And I think about that. I think how much more comfortable we are when we can live life out of a basis of love instead of out of rejection. See, I'm not going to go to the person I think, they're going to kill me. But I'll go to the person and say, eh, he won't be upset. Let me go share. I mean, again, yes, disappointment sometimes with things, absolutely, but our love doesn't wane.